This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins. And while we have a great slate of NWSL games as well as one very important FAWSL game to talk about today, I actually wanted to start this episode off by announcing a partnership. The Equalizer has partnered with Blue Wire Podcasts, who will be distributing the podcast for us from now on, and I will be going forward as the permanent host. Um, and we're here to give you all of the women's soccer coverage that we possibly can and focus on stability and growth. So we're very excited about that. Shout out to Blue Wire. Now switching over to the games, I am joined this week by Equalizer contributor Pardeep Katri. How's it going, Pardeep? I'm doing well. How are you, Claire? Not too bad. Spring has kind of sprung here in Chicago. It was a pretty chilly week, but we're we're getting there. The days are getting a little bit. Is the sun out a little bit? Is the Uh, sun out? No, but but hey, but hey, at like 7 p.m. (laughs) there is still a little bit of sunlight, and so I'll take it. But um, we love it. Yes. So we have, again, like I said, another slate of NWSL games to get to here first. Um, we're going to go back in time a little bit. The first NWSL game of the week was this past Tuesday. It ended up being the only Tuesday game because, actually, of weather here in Chicago. It was a little bit snowy <laughs> on Tuesday, so they moved Chicago's game to Wednesday. But it is spring, technically. Technically spring, yes. <laughs> uh, but it actually ended up being okay because this game maybe deserved its own match day. Uh, Gotham versus North Carolina. This was a four to three banger goals, goals, goals. I think it was two goals apiece in the first 25 minutes, something like that. Gotham did win this game on a late winner uh, by Evelyn Vienne. And uh, we saw this is like the different, a different kind of loose, right? We've seen some goalless games in this, uh, in the challenge cup so far. This was like the opposite, just a total shootout. Uh, what were your initial thoughts here, party of this one? I was honestly very relieved to watch that because I had had a long and tiring day and I just unwinded with that. But man, I, I love a good chaotic match. I, I cannot help but just love something like that. Even if I have to imagine Paul Riley was not happy. And he pulled we'll get off to that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, not to jump too far ahead, but he did yeah. pull off his center backs at halftime. Yeah, and I think the back line he finished with was completely different from the one he started with. The line change, that's right. Yeah, yeah. it uh-huh. was. It was incredible. It was yeah. incredible. I mean, the coaches won't be happy, but I'm happy. So exactly, it was great. Great for the neutral. Um. Also, I think uh, a resurgence and infusion of of energy and and quality because we did get our internationals back, right? So um, even if you just are listing the goal scorers, right? Midge Purse scores first. Dabinia equalizes. Purse scores again. (laughs) Dabinia equalizes again. Carly Lloyd puts Gotham up three to two. 
And then in the early in the second half, Jessica McDonald gets an equalizer for North Carolina. So we're at three, three for a long, the, maybe the longest span without goals is this three, three score line. As you said, Paul Riley's use of subs in this game was really something special. They are using five subs still. Um, he pulls both of his center backs at halftime, does a full line change by the end of the game. Gotham actually does some interesting subs themselves. They work themselves into the game as well. They get Estelle Johnson in the back line to kind of shore up the back their back line. Um, so let's talk about Midge Purse first. She lines up as a forward. Carly Lloyd is playing the nine, though. Her first goal, though, was Midge Purse running centrally. That was a straight-up number nine central attacker kind of a goal. Uh it's cool to see, again, after, you know, she's in camp as a right back. We haven't seen her play up top since the fall series. Just really picking up where she left off. I think this is a year of purse, for sure. Yeah, I mean, the discourse about where Midge Purse is playing is not going to stop anytime soon, clearly. But she is just, I think she's invaluable for Gotham in that forward position. I don't. I think she, I mean, she played a bit of right back during the Challenge Cup last year. It's not like she was bad there, but she's just better. So much better for them in, uh, on an individual level too. And we saw that with really the first goal. The second goal was maybe less of a, you know, was less of a demonstration of Midge Purse's ability to forward, but the first goal for sure. And just generally the performance. Like I said, I just think she's invaluable there. And I know there's a lot of talk about whether or not that it will affect her national team standing or not. I kind of think it's really not up to Sky Blue to decide that. Oh, gosh, Gotham. Wow. <laughs> I do it all the time. I know. <laughs> it, took me, it took me a while yeah. to get there, though. Yeah. So I'll, I'll be impressed with that. Um, I agree. And, and Purse did actually end up playing a little bit of right back in this game at the end. Um, as far as I know, there isn't really an official directive from U.S. Soccer to have her playing there, but you have to sort of take the needs of the player in into account. Um, I do want to talk, actually, I want to go back to the substitutes, though. Talking about, we've seen the rules of the game get a little bit stretched, flexed, whatever, going into this season, some of which because of the pandemic last year, some of which just because I think they decided it was a good change to make. Everybody has five available subs, but we also have extra concussion subs now where you can make two free substitutes if there is a concussion concern. There was a moment in this game where Jessica McDonald and Didi Heritage collide, and it really seems like the ref should be calling at the very least for the trainer to come in and check to make sure that this isn't a concussion issue. And that doesn't happen. This will be a theme this week, probably every week. I question the ref's decision there. I think that you have to, you have to immediately at least check to see, especially when you have that available sub to make if you have to. Right. I mean, the the point of trialing something like this is that you take out the risk entirely. Right. So I, I don't know, maybe the referee is just, maybe it's a little bit slow, the onboarding or the remembering that this rule exists, but either way, that that is something that absolutely has to be a priority. Hopefully we don't have to, talk so much about this over the course of this year or the next or whatever about maybe refs getting it wrong. But, but like you said, I, I think we'll probably be here talking about this again. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be, we're going to have some other uh, questions for the officiating probably later in the podcast. Uh, so 
this game, classic shootout. We actually saw North Carolina get into this in the previous match as well, and they came out on top against Washington. They seem pretty comfortable with this idea of we're trying things out in the back. We're still working Abby Ursag back from injury. Uh, we're seeing what works, what doesn't. We're going to concede some goals, but we're going to outscore the other team. They got flipped. They got flipped on it this time. Gotham with a beautiful, and I think that this is also a Gotham thing going back to their first game, is that they cannot pull these sequences off consistently. There are periods of the game where they're really struggling to find something, but when they do it, oh, it's like the best thing in the world. So a really great sequence. Carly Lloyd flicks the ball to Elizabeth Eddy, who feeds it to Ifeoma Anumanu, who sends it into Evelyn Van. That's ball game. They win 4-3. What a way to kick off the the Gotham era, right? To really just set a new tone. There are some weaknesses in this this Gotham team, but this has to feel like, okay, we are here and we are ready to compete, right? Yeah, I mean, I think over the the last couple of years, well, really since uh, Freya Coombe showed up and really when she got control of this team and she... had the power to do the things she wanted to do. She very clearly wanted to pl- uh, play attack, a uh, very attack heavy mm-hmm. style of soccer. Where did my words go? Uh, but you could see that with the way she recruited. And obviously last year there was a really small sample size of games and the inconsistency showed then it's still showing up. It's probably going to take more than, what they're at like game number 13 over the last right. two between last season and this season. So, I mean, over that stretch of time, it's probably hard to sort of drill it in, but I, I think we're starting to see the beginning of what Freya Coombs Gotham team wants to be. But like you said, they're not perfect. They're pretty inconsistent and they're probably going to want to, they're probably going to want to clean up some of the work behind the uh, forwards by the end of the season. I think mean, this is a team I think they said they want to compete for a playoff spot and the playoffs, the, the, uh, it's more open. Six teams will be in this year, but they are going to probably have to be a little bit more consistent to really lock that in. Yeah, I agree. I think that they still have some pretty big questions in their midfield and in their central defense. Um, but if they can do what they did in this game, that's how you win ugly. And I think that the fact that they have that mentality and they do have that clinical nature in front of goal is huge. We've seen a lot of these teams who have their own issues. And one of those big issues is they can't get those goals. So I think that, uh, that Gotham is in a good spot. I think North Carolina is still in a good spot too. You saw the same players show quality that we know are good, right? Zabinia is one of the best players in the world. Jessica McDonald is having a great start to her season, but their question marks are still just that question marks. Um, one final thing about Gotham, and I, I want to point this out. It's like a little pat on my back because I wrote about Ifeoma Animanu for the site before the Challenge Cup started, and she has now had two game-winning assists from that same part of the field. You predicted I, it. I know. It was all me, right? Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting because they have some decisions to make with this attack because it's a, kind of an embarrassment of riches. Does Animanu slide in to the wing? But she can play there. She's played there. She played there for the rain back when she was playing for the rain. Or is she a backup to Carly Lloyd? 
I think that this was a great point as to how you want to have Animanu and Lloyd on the field at the same time. And just thinking of her as a backup definitely limits you. Yeah, no, I, I gotta agree with you there. She really did make a case for herself on Tuesday to be playing more regularly. And she has a, some versatility to her. So I can't see how that won't benefit her in the long run. Obviously, Carly Lloyd is going to be hoping to miss some games over the summer. Right. And, you know, Anumana will fit in there quite nicely. But, right, she really made a case for herself to be playing all the time or as often as possible. Yep. So, yeah, so this was my favorite kind of a, a questionably played game. Really fun. Lots of bright spots for both teams. Some question marks for both teams. This does – they've only played two games, so it's hard to say exactly, but this does theoretically put Gotham in front to kind of control their own destiny to make it to that East final. We'll talk about who their opponent will be in a little bit. But, yeah, great game. Fun Tuesday night game. We switch over to Wednesday, and the Wednesday we, we kind of saw the middle of the pack here. There were some inconclusive results, some inconclusive performances on Wednesday. Um, to start, we're going to start with um, the rescheduled Chicago versus Kansas City game. It was still really cold, to be completely honest. They pushed it back a day, and that cold snap didn't actually alleviate. It was like 35 degrees. It had snowed earlier that night. Not great. Not great for, for a really good soccer game. And, oh, boy, the Chicago project continues. Um, I'm going to be a little bit of a Red Stars apologist here, as is my <laughs> position. Um, I think what we're seeing with Chicago is – they're a little bit being pushed down by their own quality in that they're doing a lot of things. Well, they're stifling games really well. They're having these long stretches where the other team is struggling to get on the ball. They have long stretches where their defense isn't even having to do very much in terms of recovery. They possess well, they're moving the ball. They are really struggling to score. And it just goes to show that you can control a match and if you give the other team, if the other team can uh, absorb that pressure and they take their shot, especially in the NWSL, they can steal a result from you. Uh, so that first half of that game, totally scoreless. Casey applies the pressure in the second half. Uh, Amy Rodriguez, let's talk about A-Rod for a second. She is a wrecking ball <laughs> this year. Yeah. Very exciting. Um, so this goal... It's kind of against the run of play, except Kansas City had been coming in a little bit hotter in the second half. They were putting pressure on Chicago. Really bad miscommunication between Sarah Gordon and Alyssa Nayer. Well, actually, backing up a little bit, this, the play at that point had really evened out. It was very cold. It seemed like they were just kind of playing out to a scoreless draw again. Abby Smith punts the ball. And the ball makes it all the way to Chicago's box. So there's not a lot of effort in the midfield to try to ball win. Uh, Sarah Gordon thinks that Alyssa Nair is coming out for the ball. Alyssa Nair thinks that Sarah Gordon's going to pass her the ball. Amy Rodriguez sees that this is happening. Kind of decks Gordon, knocks her over. Maybe a foul, a little bit physical. But she gets in there and she gets a really nice shot uh, to the left post. And Kansas City pulls ahead. Uh, so that's two goals in as many games for Amy Rodriguez. And it's really exciting to think that she might have a pretty powerful year. Yeah. I mean, she was, she had a really good run of form last year during the challenge cup. She's when she's on form, she is so reliable for her team. She 
I mean, what, what did you call her? A wrecking ball? Yeah, she's been a wrecking ball. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a great way to describe her, but also like a very reliable wrecking ball. Yeah. Which I don't know if those two things go together, but maybe that's Amy Rodriguez for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I, I didn't really know what to expect out of KC before they played. I mean, obviously there are some, I mean, they, a lot of a lot of players from the uh Utah Royals did come over so there is some familiarity with each other even with a new coach and with some other new players but i think it hasn't i mean they've done fairly well so far they've held their own obviously they were playing against a portland team in the first game that i mean they they're just they're ripping teams apart mm-hmm. <laughs> But, you know, they're holding their own Amy Rodriguez. She's really, really leading that for them. She, she is the reliable wrecking ball. Yeah. I think my, my take on Kansas City is that we'll see how it plays out for the entirety of a season. I still think that kind of player for player, they don't have the depth of some other teams. They don't have maybe the formidable starting 11 of some other teams, but there's some clarity of purpose in that, I think they know what they're good at and they know how they can try to sneak points. And for, for them at this moment, it's gutting out absorbed pressure, making the other team beat them on their own merit. And then using the tenacity of Rodriguez. And I think also Michelle Vasconcelos will work her way into being a big part of that as well to hit on the counter. And I think that Rodriguez on her own is going to be scoring a lot of goals this year. And I think also hopefully we're going to see not just with Rodriguez, but maybe with a couple of players. There weren't too many. There weren't too many miles put on legs in 2020, and I think that that really benefits some people. And we've seen some people come into 2021 looking really fit, really healthy, really hungry for game time, and it only benefits only benefits the league. So, but we do have to say we do have to mention that Chicago did come back. Chicago concedes a pretty embarrassing goal. It looks, it looks like this is another rough one for them after kind of getting all three points taken away from them against Portland. Uh, but they do finally break the scoreless streak after, uh, was that one, two, three, four, five halves, five halves of goals. Oh, um, yeah. It's tough. They keep a ball on the ground, which I think is really helpful. What Chicago is doing right now is they're sending a lot of crosses in the air. They've crossed over, I think, 70 times in three games. It's not working super well. They keep the ball on the ground. Aaron Wright sends a ball in centrally to Katie Johnson, who does a really nice job, actually, presence of mind to beat Abby Smith, get that equalizer. I don't know if this is a huge turning point for Chicago. I don't know if this is exactly a momentum builder, but it is a little bit of a jolt of energy, a little bit of a lightning strike of like, okay, we need to wake up. We have to start getting the ball in the back of the net a little bit more. So this ends 1-1. Both of these teams, I think, are on track to probably be in the bottom of the West, learning experiences, all of that sort of stuff. Uh, both of them have things that they're doing well. Both of them have things that they could be doing a lot better. And my hope for both of these teams, not only that they improve, but you would just like maybe the games that they play to improve a little bit too. Yeah. They're tough to watch sometimes. Oh, my gosh. I, that's exactly what I was thinking as I was watching that game before yeah. I threw on the uh, oh, that's Spirit right. Orlando yeah, game. Orlando, yeah. And I was like, this Chicago team has been so fun to watch for a very long time. And now they're not. Yeah. And I'm having a, oh man, I can't say I'm thrilled about that development, but 
They scored a goal, which is great news. Maybe they'll score more. Maybe I'll be happy to watch Red Stars games again. Yeah. That should be their main goal, actually. I agree. I think that right now, I think that right now they're kind of searching for a narrative and I think that they need to find one in order to get people on board with the project. I mean, to be fair, they do. I mean, even if winning the challenge cup isn't within reach, obviously there's enough time for them to figure things out before the end of the season. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Don't Um, worry. We're not too down on Chicago. No. And I mean, I'm to be completely honest, I don't know if the games will be good, but I think that they're going to be fine in terms of results. Right. They just might might put everybody in a sleeper hold and (laughs) move forward. Um, Okay. So we're going to do one more in this segment, one more NWSL game. This is the second, the second of the three Wednesday games, Orlando versus Washington. Orlando, dun, da, 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 they got a win. It's their first win in over 600 days. Uh, congrats to Orlando. Big, big, big congrats. This game was kind of funny, I thought. This was kind of a funny match. <laughs> uh, Orlando scores relatively early within the first 10 minutes, I think. I thought Alex Morgan looked great for them, to be completely yeah. honest. She was very active. I think that she was making a lot of things happen. She feeds a beautiful ball to Sydney LaRue who um, strikes at home. They go up. You can tell it set a tone for them, I think, getting the early goal. They're like, we're going for this one. We're going to win this one. Everybody get on board. The spirit, as of right now, you look at that back four that they played uh, against Orlando, still not what they're going to ultimately be doing. That's not their final back four. Uh, but you also wonder kind of, okay, so what is it that you're developing here? What are you working on? What's improving? We saw Kelly O'Hara be very, very active in this game. She pushed forward a lot. Um, <laughs> she had something I, I, I wrote down. I so said she had something of like a poor man's hat trick in this game because she had a goal called off and two yellow cards. <laughs> Congratulations, Kelly O'Hara. Uh huh. Your accomplishment. Uh huh. Um, and also just Ashlyn Harris had a big game. Washington yeah. had a lot of shots on goal and they just could not get it past Harris. Um, you saw a little bit more of this one. Kind of tell me what was your take first, first, what's your take on Orlando in this one? What did you think of the pride? Um, I think I got used to, I, I think I got used to them not being the winners in a game. So to watch them win was refreshing. Mm-hmm. You, you brought up Alex Morgan. I think she's, Finally hitting that form. She's, she's hitting her form. She's getting into form at the right time. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, we're thinking Olympics in a couple of months, but the pride are going to benefit from her getting into form right now too, at least until she leaves for the Olympics and then obviously comes back. Um, the second half, I thought they probably revert, reverted a little bit back into the old form of make, making Ashlyn Harris do too much, right. but Ashlyn Harris is at least if you're making a goalkeeper do too much, she's not a bad goalkeeper to save you. So maybe that's something they need to work on. Yeah. I think, right. This was the best of Ashlyn Harris. Ashlyn Harris is a very mercurial player where she has bad games and she has good games. And when she has a good game, it's very cool. This is what has, this is why she is who she is. This is what has carried her in her career. Um, And, Again, I, that idea of kind of flipping the switch in, in Orlando having moments where some of the players, the switch may be flipped off. You had some moments where the switch flipped on. It seemed like there was a cohesion, at least in the team's leaders, to really not let this one slip away. 
Also some bad luck on Washington's part. Unfortunately, here we are again. We're going to be talking about a referee decision. Uh, the Spirit did a quick, they did a quick take of a free kick at the top of the box. The ball was sent out to Kelly O'Hara, who scored. It was a great strike. It was across her body. It was um, far post. They equalized not long after the Pride get their first goal. A couple of things about this. I went back and I rewatched it. There was no contention. There was no argument from the Pride after this goal was scored. The Pride did not think that that was an illegal play. There was nobody was coming to the ref saying, hey, we weren't ready. We weren't set up. Um, they thought that that one, totally legal. Uh, the broadcast <laughs> thought that the goal had been given. The broadcast showed the celebration. They gave Washington the goal. Uh, turns out that the ref did not feel like she had given uh, – she had not blown the whistle, ultimately, for this quick take. Um, quick takes are allowed. That's one thing. Uh, O'Hara, I think, indicated that she had told the ref that she didn't want the 10 feet. So there was no need to set up a wall. She was allowing encroachment. She said, that's fine. Uh, you do that so that you can take a ball quickly. Why, first of all, why do you think the ref needed to call, felt like they needed to call this one back, especially, and, and also why doesn't a ref at that point be like, you know, I hadn't blown the whistle, but there's nothing illegal that happened here. I'm not going to take that opportunity away from the team. This call shocked me. I, I could not explain it to you. I have had days to think about it and you just explained it again. I tried to think about it again <laughs> and I, I, I cannot explain it to you, but I, I mean, look, if you really want me to guess, I would guess that the ref is just a stickler for the rules. Feels like has to keep the game in control maybe through this. Yeah. I, I personally wouldn't have evaluated this particular instance as something that would take the game out of control, but I also don't, I don't think like a referee. So yeah, I, I, I still cannot believe that goal got taken back and it was a very nice goal too. So it was especially cruel. Yeah. Yeah. It was tough. And, and I have to say that, you know, this will probably again be a recurring theme. I'm a little bit concerned about the officiating so far. We've had multiple games where officiating has been called into question uh, big things and little things, big things and little things like offside even is really inconsistent. We have ARs that are not, their positioning is not very good. People are not seeing the angles super well. We have odd little control motions like this. We have matches that have gotten out of control, really hard to deal with. I think for players and for fans alike. So yeah, I that's think a concern. The, I think the NWSL might be giving out a few more fines than they'd like for uh players and coaches talking about refereeing, whether or not they're right is one thing, but I think they're going to be <laughs> issuing a few fines. Yeah. And I think it matters because challenge cup, maybe you can shrug off, right? Because it's preseason. It's just one trophy. This isn't, this isn't life or death. Once you get into the regular season, this is something actually that Laura Harvey, I think, spoke really well on when she was a, the head coach at Utah, which is that, you know, these people's jobs are being evaluated by the results of these games. People's livelihoods matter uh, or are affected by by what happens. And maybe you can have conversations about the Challenge Cup. Everybody's kind of working into form. If it affects regular season results, that's a big, big problem. Uh, and I think it's one that the NWSL has to take seriously. Okay, but however... Yes. Should the goal have been called off? No. More concerning for Washington, though, is not that they lost a goal. It's that they did not score for the next 65 minutes. I think that's the bigger issue, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is a team, I think, 
they've got great for uh, pieces in attack. I mean, obviously last year they had Rose Lavelle, but even without Rose Lavelle, it hasn't been, it's not supposed to be an issue. Right. I mean, and they obviously scored a bunch against um, the courage in the opening uh, game of the challenge cup for them, but I don't, not scoring on uh, just uh, including all of the tr- uh, chances they have. That's that is not a good impression. And maybe again, we can chalk this up to beginning of the season, trying new things out. But I think this is a Washington team that we all expected to deliver in that category. We actually, I think we expected them to be one of the better teams in this conference, one of the better teams in this league. And maybe again, maybe it's just that for the challenge cup, they're, you know, they're just being experimental, but that's concerning. And if they don't address that at a certain point, it's going to be even more concerning than it is now. Right. Yeah. I think that we're seeing a couple of teams with this issue, Chicago, obviously being another one where, Common knowledge kind of says, you know, if a team is underperforming their XG, eventually that will revert to the, to the mean. But, you know, there are human beings involved and it's hard sometimes to take that idea, that statistical idea of underperforming XG isn't good, but you start to work through it. Things start to improve. But it also, you question, are these the right people? Uh, for Chicago, it's a slate of forwards. Uh, for Washington, Trinity Rodman has been fantastic. I think she's yeah. been wonderful for them. And I think that probably they're going to give tournament MVP to one of the teams in the final. But, man, I think that she's the MVP of the tournament so far. I said this last week. Uh, Ashley Hatch, though. Again, Ashley Hatch. It's like big question mark of is she fitting in the system and is she clinical enough in front of goal? Also, Ashlyn Harris went into God mode. So it's, you know, some of those things as well. They had There was another where they had a penalty take. Not very good. Ashley yeah. saves a penalty. Washington had opportunities here that they just couldn't take. Um, so those were the first three games. We're going to take a little bit of a break, and we will come back with one more NWSL result and uh, turn over to the international game and to Europe, because, boy, did some things happen in Europe this week. So we'll be right back. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to part two of this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins. This week, I am joined by Pardeep Katri. We are talking through NWSL and some stuff going on in Europe. Before we move on to part two here, a little bit of housekeeping. Thing number one, please rate and review in this podcast. Give us five stars. Tell us you like it. It helps people find us. And as we move through an NWSL season and, fingers crossed, an Olympic season, uh, it's always helpful to have people find the podcast easily. Second thing, just a little bit uh, lo- of looking ahead. We are going to be doing a mailbag episode uh, around the time of the Challenge Cup final. So we'll be recapping the Challenge Cup final, and we will also be answering some questions that anybody might have about the Challenge Cup, about the regular season. Uh, get your questions in. So you can find me on Twitter at Scout 
Ripley. You can also send questions to the Equalizer Twitter account using the hashtag EQZPod. Uh, and we'll be compiling those to answer some of your questions in a couple of weeks. Hopefully we'll have an answer on when this, what the schedule yeah, looks like. Yeah, please don't ask me when the schedule is. I don't know. Yes. Uh, <laughs> all right. So we have one more NWSL game to talk about today. We're going to, this is actually maybe the winner's segment. Part B, our, our B block here is, is the winner's block because we have a winner of the Western Division. The Portland Thorns beat OL Reign two to nothing. They are on nine points in three games and they have already secured the Western Division. This game saw the return of a lot of Portland's heavy hitters. It also saw the return of some of OL Reigns, except they didn't really start the match. We saw a pretty big disparity in the starters of these two teams. Portland had a lot more starters ready to go. Jessica Fishlock and Megan Rapino did not make their OL Reign debuts for 2021 until the second half of the match. Um, Portland looks really good, just to kind yeah. of put it frankly. Um, I actually wrote about this for the site. If you want a little bit of a recap of how Portland has been maneuvering this tournament, they got it done when they needed to with their depth. And then their depth was ready when their stars slotted in. So we had Lindsay Harambax, uh, Crystal Dunn, Christine Sinclair, Becky Sauerbrunn playing in with these other players who have been holding the team down for the last two games. And game ended two to nothing. It could have been more than that, though. This game was not close. Yeah, I think... The Thorns have been, they were really good in the fall series. And I think they're just picking up some of that momentum. And they're, they're already showing that they're going to be a force to be reckoned with in 2021. Like you mentioned, they're, I don't, I mean, saying their depth got the job done is also a little bit of an understatement, right? This is, their roster is really, really well built to withstand whatever the, whatever the global women's soccer calendar is going to throw at them barring a, a really crazy injury crisis. Like we saw the oil rain in a couple of years it ago. It can but, happen. That's true. Yeah. We were only a few years removed from that, but they, they did a really good job without these players, without their top players. And then these players came back and they were just, they were, they were, they were firing from the very, very beginning. Like I think the disparity between the lineups that you were talking about was probably key to this match. It was 2-0. It could have been more like you added. This this is the team to beat, not just in the challenge go, but I think in 2021 period. Yeah. Um, they set a club record of shots taken in this match. They are ready to go. Um, yeah, so so with Portland. The thing that I didn't realize upon watching until we got to this game too, which was really interesting is so Portland had Megan Klingenberg playing kind of like that, a roaming number eight sort of a role for their first two games. They had Madison Pogark take over on the left side and they let Klingenberg push forward into the midfield. And then once they got to this game, that's kind of actually where Crystal Dunn slid in as well. She played a little bit like a dual eight with Lindsay Horan and they had Angela Salem holding up as the six and they had Christine Sinclair as the 10 and that midfield is scary. And Rocky Rodriguez isn't even on the field. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think that you saw Dunn kind of getting used to the role, but when you have someone like that, who has that much freedom, talk about being able to play free. She had defenders having to track her. She was opening space up for her teammates. She was opening space up for herself 
and you had Simone Charlie and Sophia Smith up top ruining Amber Brooks's life, essentially. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Some interesting talk about lineup choices, right? So Madison Hammond and Amber Brooks started in the central defense for OL Reign. Lou Barnes, a question of tactical decision, injury decision. They said maybe she didn't get as much training time in preseason as she would have liked. Maybe it's part of that she's just getting a little bit older. I don't know if they've identified decline, but that seems like there's some chaotic energy in that central defense for the rain. And especially also with Karen Bardsley, who didn't have a great game either. That is something that they have not yet addressed. Marjan will help a ton. Buadi, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what that does uh, to that central defense core. But um, still, some big question marks for the rain. I think. Yeah, it always. I mean, they haven't scored yet either, right? right? That's after two games. Yeah, right. They, I, I mean, they they were struggling with some of this stuff last year too. And it always feels like. Well, I remember after last year, I was thinking, okay, maybe they're just sort of half baked half-baked because the season was weird. But they had, what, between October and April, six months to... I mean, they 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 probably needed to freshen up the squad for a long time. They didn't have a goalkeeper, so at least they solved that problem. Right. It still feels half-baked to me. It still feels like they're not... I know, it just feels really incomplete right now. And maybe bringing Rapino and Jess Fishlock back into the fold will help. Look, I mean, I think one of the takeaways from this week of NWSL games period is that if you can score goals, you can get yourself out of trouble a little bit at least. Right. So maybe they can help with that. And that, like I said, scoring goals is you out of trouble, but in the back, it feels really, really incomplete. It feels it it feels like there's a lot of room left to go here. Yeah. And it's, it's a transition, I think, for Fareed Benstiti that is maybe taking longer than anyone would like or anyone maybe expected. But it wouldn't be the first time an NWSL coach, I think, took this long to get their team in order. Right. And it's something, too, where it's really interesting looking at, obviously, the buying power that OL Reign has, though they are restricted by NWSL roster rules that you would think that a little bit more of some strategic off-season moves uh, in in placement of actual club development, because Bensidi hasn't been there long enough to develop his quote-unquote types of players, to go find those pieces that are going to be important. Um, I, right, I think you're correct that them not scoring is still a big concern considering the talent that they do have up top. Um, Zara King got a good run out in this game, but she struggled to to find some separation. Bethany Balser, good moments. Again, just they're some good ball movement. They've got an idea of what they want to do, but it's just not totally clicking. Um, I think there are some questions about Sofia Huerta at this point. Um, this is probably a big year for her. After moving out of Houston, doesn't really get a full 2020. What can she show in 2021? It doesn't help, obviously, that they were playing Portland, but – you look at you look at things like this. You look at the free kick that Lindsay Horan scores. Uh, Karen Barsley sets her wall up with a gap in it. She's got one player and then I think four. She sets up actually behind that wall. She doesn't move into the gap in the wall. She stands behind the wall. Horan sends the ball pretty much the only place it could be sent because she can see 
that left top 90 because of the gap in the wall. She, that's where she sends the ball. And it seems like Bardsley isn't ready for it. And so it's that kind of stuff where it's like, you got to get back to the basics guys. You gotta, you gotta do what you do well first and then maybe start working on the bigger project because for the rain, maybe in a different way from Chicago or Washington, it still just seems like maybe the basics are not under control, despite the fact that their passing accuracy numbers are great. That's what Ben Steedy is going to do. They're going to be passing well in the midfield. They've got that quality, but in the area of the pitch where the goals are, <laughs> they're really struggling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that That's not going to help you win games. <laughs> right. Uh, which is ultimately the goal, right? Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. So, we so we're seeing a team put it together. Really the only team that's starting to really put it together are the Portland Thorns. They win the West. Uh, let's talk some general stuff, some general NWSL stuff, because I think it's worth bringing up, especially as we pivot into talking about a game that was really fantastic that was played in England this week. So the NWSL set up the Challenge Cup. It's a preseason tournament. Part of this is because of COVID. They didn't know what they were dealing with uh, in terms of what the COVID climate is going to be. It's also sometimes helpful to have a preseason tournament. It helps the regular season. They also set it up at in the middle of an international break. So they don't have internationals for the first two match days per team. Was this a good enough showcase? Has this been a good enough showcase for this league? Did they maybe overreach a little bit doing both a preseason tournament and a tournament without internationals to kick off this year? That's a good question. I actually ended up, I wrote a little piece about this during the Challenge Cup last year. And probably every player and coach I spoke to was like, yes, we need a cup of some sort, whether you bring the Challenge Cup back or you integrate a sort of U.S. Open Cup style tournament. That's something we all want. Actually, Caitlin Rowland said that she would love a challenge cup right before the uh, regular season. I, I, I think the gamble was that the challenge cup last year was so successful without a lot of the biggest stars right. in this league. Obviously, Alex Morgan was out uh, on maternity leave. Megan Rapinoe didn't play. Kristen Preston didn't play. Joan Heath didn't play. A lot of people and a lot of the players who were, were maybe not were not as well known, but were there and doing some consistent work really rose to the challenge. Although the challenge cup also existed under circumstances that will probably never exist again. Here's hoping anyway. Right. Uh, and so I have to wonder if they were wanting to recapture that magic, but uh, you, I mean, this is one of my general philosophies in life not even just about soccer but you can't really recapture magic mm. it happened once and i guess that was the bet but i also think even if it didn't capture the momentum that it wanted to this time it's a something that they can really easily change mm-hmm. you know next year maybe if they still want to do it in a preseason format it doesn't have to be during an international break they can kind of just not do that right or i don't know maybe they move the placement of the tournament entirely which i don't know where that would go then but it seems like nwsl was really happy with the product last year and tried to 
put the Challenge Cup in somewhere this year. Yeah. I I don't know how you recalibrate if it doesn't work this time. Yeah. I um where I'm at with it is I think that this is going to pay dividends in the regular season. And so we're dealing with some growing pains um that we're going to benefit from come whenever the schedule is released. We're hearing we're hearing middle of May. I think first first match weekend is probably the weekend of the 15th, but we don't know for sure. Um however, I think you need to be really careful about your messaging if you know that it's going to kind of be like this. And where I'm at with it, especially as someone who who covers mostly like the Chicago beat, right? We have a team here that the narrative hasn't emerged yet. We don't know what the compelling thing about this team is. And I think that we're seeing that with a lot of these teams so far is good. You're working things out. That's great. How can you start convincing fans, whether it's in the U.S. or abroad, that there's quality here and that there are things to get excited about? Why are these teams good? Um, and so I think that they've put that burden on themselves. I think that they will end up being fine. I think that, like I said, I think the regular season will benefit from this, but maybe learn, like you said, yeah, the idea of recapturing the magic and maybe relearn, like, this is straight up a capital P preseason tournament. Don't get your hopes up too high. Or you change where it is. But you also know that that probably means that the first two weeks of the regular season games might look a lot like these. So yeah. there's there's pros and cons. There's pros and cons. But I just think it's been interesting to see that sort of disconnect because this league is poised to get a lot more eyeballs, I think. And people are really excited about it and they're watching these games and thinking, huh, what 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 is here to get excited about? So And to be fair, at least some of the games have been stupidly entertaining. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> some of them so, have been yeah. the good kind of bad, you know? Right. Yeah. So they're not it's not like NWSL is striking out completely. Yeah. Agreed. But that first game, oh man. Yeah, and not the, a couple like that. Not yeah. the best game to open up a tournament with. Not that it was obviously necessarily within the league's control, but at the end of the day, this you're you're right that these are just games that happen at the beginning of a season, whether or not you put it in a Challenge Cup format or in a regular season format. Right. Um, and I think also just the format of the tournament itself, where only two teams are making it to this final. You had a lot of teams that they lose their first game or they tie and then lose and they say, well, that's the tournament. So now we're just going to keep working on stuff because we've got nothing really to play for. So it's a little bit of a, an issue with the format as well. Um, so that's the big, that's kind of the big picture on the challenge cup. We're going to see who wins the East probably this upcoming week. And then we'll have some previews for someone's going to win a trophy. It might be someone who's won trophies before. It might be someone brand new. We'll have to see. So let's turn to, we're going to do quickly. I want to just do want to talk about the Olympic draw that happened this week. We found out who the U.S. was going is going to be playing in their group stage of the Olympics. Um, it was that was broadcast very early in the morning in the states, right? It was like four o'clock in the morning, something like yeah. that. Uh, I didn't catch it live, but here's the rundown. Here's the rundown of the groups for the women's Olympic draw for Tokyo this summer. So in Group E, we start with Group E because A, B, C, and D are the men. So we start with E. Uh, Japan, Canada. Team Great Britain and Chile are all in Group E. Group F, we have China, Brazil, Zambia, and the Netherlands. And then in Group G, Sweden, United States, Australia, and New Zealand. My first takeaway here, other than, of course, the U.S. and Sweden are going to be playing each other. FIFA needs to be stop being so obvious in the way they uh, (laughs) rig the draws. (laughs) Yeah, it's like they're trying. 
Um, <laughs> is it, I don't know if there's a group of death here because all of these teams are good. Also, a lot of teams from these groups, they do move on. So you're even going to have some teams get third and move on to the knockout stage. However, Australia can't feel great about this group. Absolutely not. <laughs> That's the one where I'm just like, man, this is not what they needed, maybe. <laughs> No, no, I think they would much rather the, uh, the, what, Group F with, mm-hmm. uh, in the place of either Brazil or the Netherlands. Right. That's, that's probably the group where the two, well, maybe it's the group where the two, where the third place team doesn't make it. Right. Though, so, I guess, you know, I mean, it's a, it, it's a knockout tournament on anything can happen, but. Right. Yeah, I think I think we're just setting up for probably a relatively straightforward uh, group stage, and then all of the teams you expect will get in on that third place spot, and then the knockouts will be fun. That that's my guess anyway. Hopefully, I'm yeah. wrong though. Yeah, if I'm Australia, if I'm if I'm Tony Gustafsson, and I'm thinking about how I'm going to pull this off, I think you just got to focus in on scoring as many goals as you possibly can. Just yeah. score as many goals as you can against whoever, and and hope that that carries you through. Yeah, I don't really, like I said, I don't really know if I believe in a group of death. I think that any group with the United States in it is going to be tough. And I also think that, yeah, that group E with Japan, Canada, Great Britain, and Chile, that's going to be really fun, first of all. I think that you've got a lot of different styles of play in that group. And um, that's another one, too, where just depending on how confident people are feeling, there's going to be one of the, you know, greater uh, footballing nations here that's going to get third in this group. And we'll see kind of how people deal with that. Um, I remember the uh, team GB is basically under new leadership. Mm-hmm. They've not had a lot of time to prepare. That should be fun. Yeah, and it's and it's, it's the wild. last go out for them before Serena Wagman shows up. That's right. Yeah. Um, once again, always reminded. I'm always shocked. Always reminded that this is a very small tournament, and these rosters are also very small. This is a really lean operation, um, and there's a lot of talent that's going to be involved. So get excited about that. Uh, get ready to wake up at four o'clock in the morning because these match times are not super conducive yes, to the U.S. But hopefully, but... Don't lose too much sleep. That's not great. Yeah. Um, Although we all will anyway. Who am I kidding? Right. Exactly. We'll be up <laughs> in the middle of the night. All right. So now switching over, this is maybe a good seg over to Europe. So we got a little bit unlucky with our timing last week in that we recorded last week's edition of the Equalizer podcast like at noon-ish on Sunday. And then everything in European football exploded like six hours later. Um, Twelve big clubs in Europe announced the formation of the Super League. They were met with a huge backlash. Everybody hated it. They were threatened with having to be pulled out of having players be barred from the Euros and FIFA threatened to have players be barred from the World Cup. All of this was about men's soccer. So there's not a lot to dive into here in, in terms of the major players having really anything to do with the women's game. Other than that, women's teams were involved by the nature of being part of these clubs. You know, teams like the UEFA Women's Champions League semifinalists, Barcelona, Chelsea, uh, Bayern and PSG actually were not involved. So half, half of that tie, <laughs> uh, half of that tie was, was safe. But, um, yeah. So I just wanted to get your general thoughts on the whole thing. Big mess. <laughs> and do you think that the women's game dodged a little bit of a bullet here? I think every single person dodged a bullet yeah, here. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, if we want to focus on the women's game specifically, there was one whole sentence dedicated to the women's game in the big document that 
was the foundation of the super league. Like it takes me more time and more thought to think of like a snack right? to eat on any given afternoon. So, and I, I mean, it, for starters, it just wasn't well thought out for right. anybody in the women's game. It wasn't really that well thought out for anyone in the men's game either. But I don't even understand how it would have made sense in the women's game, right? Obviously, these are t- uh, clubs who are saying, well, we just want to make as much money as possible. Okay. Right. But these, but their basis is we are the best men's teams in the world, or in Europe at least. That doesn't actually translate in the women's game, right? We're talking about, sure, Chelsea is a club that, uh, that, you know, compared to other clubs, takes its women's team seriously. Um, Barcelona is doing some of that. What, uh, Manchester United is being splashy. But, I mean, Real Madrid's women's team, what, is only out here in its first season. Mm-hmm. Liverpool and Tottenham have women's teams that these clubs do not care about. Right. They don't spend a dime on them, even though, or barely, even though it wouldn't, I mean, the thing is, it does, it does not cost that much. If you're a super club, like these clubs are claiming to be, to have women's teams that, that would be contenders for these top titles. So I don't even understand how it would make sense. But then again, I'm thinking more about it. You're thinking more about it. Every single person listening to this podcast is thinking more about it than these people who are the leaders in this sport. Right. I, like you said, we dodged a bullet. I think every last one of us did. Yeah. I think it's a reminder, you know, I, I, other people have, have gone into more analysis about what this means on the men's side. I think that they've done probably irreparable damage. This is even without it going through. But it is a reminder that capitalism, pure base capitalism, is not going to be the driver of women's equity. It's just not. Because what we saw there was a very base capitalist, you know, rich getting richer, greedy, call it whatever you want, on the men's side. And the men's side is, you would think, established at this point. Um, and they did it with little thought for their women's teams. You know, the, the idea that Chelsea or Barcelona were going to get thrown out of, of the semifinals because it's a full club deal or the idea that you would even form the Super League with a team that is currently struggling even to get out of the championship. Um, it's ridiculous and it is a little bit of a, a shock to the system to be like, well, these people do not really have the best interest of men's football at heart. And they certainly do not have the best interest of women's football at heart. Uh, and so it'll be very interesting to see what happens next. Yeah. I don't think this is over by any stretch of the imagination, right? I mean, this is the super league was a, an idea that has been looming over men's soccer for a really long time. Right. And Watching it fall apart over the span of 48 hours was hilarious. Don't get me wrong, but you defeated, but in credit to the fans that came out in full force and really, really got, really led to its demise. But you're, they won one battle. It was one big battle, but that's not, 
they didn't win the war. These, these, a lot of these clubs said that they're still interested. It's just that this idea didn't work and maybe they won't try it again next week and maybe they won't try it again next month, but they're very, it was like this patchwork attempt to create a super league. Maybe next time they'll actually come in with some preparation and some thought. Right. And there's a lot of momentum now for fan groups uh, and weirdly the British government (laughs) to maybe put a cap on this and make sure it can't happen. But I don't think we've seen one way or another that this won't happen again. Right. Yeah. It's going to be a discussion for a long time. And you and I, the last time you were on the podcast, we had this great conversation about how the women's champions league has been developing and is turning into this wonderful competition in the later stages. And you want that to, you want that to grow, you know, you want that to, to, to become something really special and uh, only highlighted by our final topic of conversation, the actual women's super league. Uh, yes, there really is great. one. Oh, there is one. And they had a real banger of a game. Really fabulous game to probably decide the WSL title this, this past week. It was between Chelsea and Manchester City. They were, Chelsea was ahead of them by two points. So a win by City would have put them ahead. Obviously a win by Chelsea would have pretty much put the whole thing to bed. As of how this ended, it ended in a 2-2 draw, which means that Chelsea is still two points ahead of Manchester City. Obviously anything can happen probably decided the table we will see if anything wild happens in the last couple last couple of match weekends but I do want to talk about this game because it felt like after watching all of these other NWSL games it felt a little bit like some it was refreshing we'll just say that it was a little bit of fresh air um really two very strong lineups and I think the thing that I loved about this game was um not only did you have some individual performances that were really special but when you have a team at the end of a season, the coherent thought and the coherent strategy and the coherent tactics between the two teams here uh, was really nice to see. So Chelsea scores first, uh, Sam Kerr on a header, uh, Sam Kerr. Oh man, this was like vintage Sam Kerr. I'm like chef's kiss, beautiful Sam Kerr performance. She was very active. She was on, she was on the shoulder of city's back line the whole game. She was working hard to be part of the team press really great game from Sam Kerr. Um, but then Chloe Kelly got a goal back, uh, not long after. And, and this actually comes down to what I think was the whole Chelsea performance, which is that they have this very coherent defensive style. They do a full team press city really struggled actually to deal with that in the first half. But the issue with that kind of a defensive scheme is if you have individual mistakes, that opened things up for you. So Millie Bright had a moment in that in that goal sequence that that allowed City to equalize. But then Sam Kerr, very very active on the ball, clear cut penalty gets her legs taken out from under her. Uh, Perniel Harder takes it two one Chelsea, and that takes us into the half. Um, and then what happens in this game is Chelsea tries to see the game out in a way where they lean off of the press so much, but the whole idea of their schematic is to take away passing lanes, give city a ton of the ball and say, good luck. And it almost worked. They almost did it except again 
individual mistake killed them. They just, they were trying to play out of the back. They were trying to just kind of move the ball around. 74th minute, big mistake from Fran Kirby. Lauren Hemp takes advantage, 2-2 City. Um, you've seen these teams, you've seen these teams play uh, throughout this year. Um, I was impressed with Manchester City. I thought that they did a nice job at least of, of coming back in this one. I wasn't sure they were going to be able to. But it seemed like this was maybe just a very quintessential matchup between the two, and it shows the differences in quality maybe in what Chelsea is able to do versus what City is able to do. Yeah, I, I like you, I'm impressed with City. They've they have obviously been banging on the door. They were knocking. I think I used the wrong expression. <laughs> they were knocking on the door. They wanted to win the, uh, the FAWSL title for a few years. And that's why, you know, they stepped up and they got Sam Lewis. And that's why they brought in uh, Lucy Bronze. And maybe technically Rose Lavelle, but she, we all know about that. Yeah. <laughs> not, not, not even really worth discussing at this yeah. point, to be completely honest. Yeah. Right. But because they, I mean, at the very least, they want to be able to play games like this. They want to be able to compete against this Chelsea team that has more or less been the best team in the FAWSL for the last several years. And they got close. They did. Yeah. They got close. And how it would have been very fun if they had actually scored a winner. They had their chances. It didn't work out for them. I, I they're good as things stand. They're probably going to not win the title again this year. But, I mean, I'm somebody that just loves to watch games like this. I think so many of us are. So that was great to see. But if we're just talking about overall narratives, we can talk about Chelsea too. And Chelsea, even though City have been trying to get better, have really made – it clear how much they want to tro- uh, how much they want to win this title. Yeah. Chelsea have not rested on their laurels, right? They obviously brought in Sam Kerr a little while ago. They got Pernille Harder. This is a team that respects the competition. And that's going to be fun to watch too, as the Champions League looks more or less wide open. I mean, Leon isn't here anymore. We could see Chelsea win the treble. I mean, they, they are still in the FA Cup. They are, uh, they're probably going to win the league title and they are still in the running. They've got a good shot, I think, at, at Champions League as well. So they could have a big, big, big trophy year. Um, they were missing Magda Eriksson in this match. And I think that was probably one of the things that contributed to that final city equalizer. Um, but yeah, I think that Chelsea provides issues for the other top teams that they don't always see from the teams that can't pull off that sort of organization. And it's really fun to watch because what you have is basically this, you know, unstoppable force, immovable object where city's so good at moving the ball. And they're so good at those, those motions in the midfield and, and trying to find that sort of pass in past the defense. And then you have Chelsea that uses a high press to force the issue in the first half and then basically sits back and tries to play intelligence, baby, basically like a five back for the rest of the half. And that's great. That's like soccer at the height of its powers. And that's a wonderful match to watch. And the fact that we got four goals in a title decider is, is a dream. It's a true dream. Um, so loved that match. I know. How many times have we seen people go conservative in situations like that? Right. Exactly. Not this um, time. Thank you. So I hope, I would say that I hope that both of these teams retain as much of this talent as they possibly can going into next year. 
Um, and I hope that we see Arsenal and United by, I think that, you know, we talk about opportunities. I think the WSL, even after this year has done a lot really well, especially on this top end. And I think that I love that Chelsea went for it, right? They started really compiling talent, but you're also seeing some teams where some talent's not making it on the field, right? You got Rose Lavelle having trouble getting on the field for city. Someone like Jesse Fleming isn't really seeing a lot of time at Chelsea. Um, I would love to see some pieces move around maybe, you know, and I think that that will only help because yes, it's great that we had two teams in a hell of a match, but let's get four teams. Let's get six teams. Let's start spreading this wealth around getting a little bit more competition on the top end to go along with the quality. It's kind of where I'm at with it. 100%. There's only room for this to get better. Yeah. Yeah. So congratulations to the WSL. They are not quite finished with their season, but this was a great capper. Uh, and we will be back next week with more NWSL matches for you. And I'm sure whatever news awaits us, maybe we'll have a schedule. Ooh, that would be very exciting. Dream big. Yeah, that's right. Thank you so much, Brady, for coming on. Shout out again to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy. I am your host, Claire Watkins, and we will see you next time.